Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Good morning, church. Don't you wish you had this tie? Son made it for me. And I don't think uh, Miss Michelle believed I'd wear it to preach, but I love my boys. I'll do it for them. Happy Father's Day, dads. I hope that you picked up one of those hats on your way in, our gift to you. We gave the moms a Mother's Day soap, and uh, Buster really wanted the dads to get soap, too. He's, he's really into soap, but we convinced him to do hats instead, so I hope you get one of those hats. Our thanks for you. If you're watching online, you're a dad, come by this week. We'll have some extra hats. We'll give you one of those. It's a special weekend for many reasons, not only Father's Day, um, but yesterday also the, the Juneteenth holiday. Yesterday, I got to go pick blueberries with my sons. Uh, Andrew and Katie Hoosier have this awesome uh, place on their land where they've got blueberries, and you can go and you can pick those blueberries. We picked a gallon of them. And uh, we went out there, and it was warm, and uh, the boys were really into it for about five minutes. (laughs) Then it's hot, and uh, they're getting scratched, and they're ready to go do something else. And we got to have a great conversation yesterday about people who were forced to work on fields like that one for years, day in and day out. He knew about this. He knew about American slavery, and um, it was a really meaningful conversation. And so I hope that you had some time this weekend to reflect on our past as a nation. And I think reflecting on that helps us move towards the future that God's calling us to. So yeah, hope you had that opportunity. We're in Mark chapter 9 today. We're continuing our our two-part series in the the middle of this larger series, The Good News of Jesus Christ. We thought about the good news of the mountaintop last week when God takes us up high where we're really close to Him. And then today we, we talk about the valleys of life. We pick up with the disciples who were there on the top of the mountain with um, Jesus In verse 9, they're coming down the mountain. As they're coming down the mountain, we read in verse 9. And so it's this kind of like striking visual of what happened up there compared to what happens down here in the valley of life. And so starting in verse 14, we're going to pick up with the valley. What happens as Jesus enters into this valley. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John approached the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, legal experts arguing with them. And suddenly the whole crowd caught sight of Jesus. And they ran to greet him, overcome with excitement. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd, a dad, we're going to find out. Someone from the crowd responded, teacher, I brought my son to you Since he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak, and whenever it overpowers him, it throws him into a fit. He foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth and stiffens up. And so I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw it out, but they couldn't. And Jesus answered them, you faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? 
bring him to me. And they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a fit. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been going on? He said, since he was a child. It's often thrown him into a fire or into water, trying to kill him. If you can do anything, help us. Show us compassion. And Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, all things are possible for the one who has faith. And at that, the boy's father cried out, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. And noticing that the crowd had surged together, Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit, mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. After screaming and shaking the boy horribly, the spirit came out. And the boy seemed to be dead. In fact, several people said he had died. But Jesus took his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And Jesus went into a house, and his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we throw this spirit out? And Jesus answered, throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. A couple of years ago, before we had kids, Lindsay and I, went to visit her parents over the Christmas holiday. And uh, their service, their church, sorry, does a, a worship service on Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful service. We've gone many times. They wait till it's dark, till it's laid out. And then you come into a dark room that's lit with candles all around. It's a special time. Of course, at a, at a Christmas Eve service, you have um, this kind of odd thing to take place special thing, maybe, depending on who you are, you have on every pew extended families, right? Because it's Christmas Eve. And so you'll have grandparents surrounded by their grandkids and their children while they're worshiping together. And I'll tell you, on Christmas Eve, there's no place that grandparents would rather be than at church with their whole family so they can show them off. And there, there's no place that kids want to be less on Christmas Eve than at church. You know, like, it's Christmas Eve. Santa's coming. If we're at church, he may miss us. He may not know where to find us, give my toys to somebody else. They don't want to be there. And so you've got these proud, beaming grandparents wanting to show off their kids. And you have the grandkids who are trying to be distracted with Legos and Cheerios. And then you have these, like, parents who are out of their minds trying to keep these kids quiet in a candlelit Christmas Eve service. I'll never forget that night, though, the preacher's preaching. He's preaching this great Christmas sermon about Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. He said, you don't have to worry anymore about God being far away. God has come near. God is with us now. God is right here. I'll never forget. It was quiet when he said that. And one of those little boys playing Legos looks up and he says, I don't see God. <laughs> Sometimes believing's hard, right? Sometimes believing's hard. You know, not, not for all of us. Some of us in this room have this faith that's unshakable. But for others of us, especially at those moments in life, when the realities of life, when the realities of the valleys of life come come crashing up against our faith, what we believe, it's then 
that believing can be really hard. But again, maybe not for everybody in here. I, some of you, I have seen you face these circumstances of difficulty in your life with unimaginable calm and faith. One of the privileges of, of being a minister is being with you all in really tough moments sometimes. And the way that some of you have faced those moments is remarkable. When I've watched you, sometimes I've, I've thought about one of my heroes of faith, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've talked about Bonhoeffer before. He was a, a German preacher who was arrested and eventually executed by Nazis, Hitler's Germany. And just before, he's, he's been in prison for a long time, just before he's executed, he writes this poem. This is what he says. Listen to this. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain at thy command. We will not falter, thankfully receiving all that's given by thy loving hand. Can you imagine writing that when you're facing death? Thankfully receiving all that you give. Reminds me of one of our ministers here, Larry McKenzie. You all know Larry, if you've ever asked Larry how he's doing, even if he's recovering from a heart attack, he'll say, I'm thankful. That kind of faith is remarkable. And some of you have a faith like that, like Bonhoeffer's. The last thing Bonhoeffer did before he walked out to be executed was to perform a worship service for his fellow prisoners. And some of you have that kind of faith, but there are others in this room. I'm going to guess more than we care to admit often. There are others in this room for who believing is very hard. Uh, when I graduated graduate school, I was actually coming here to, to do ministry. One of my professors gave me a final assignment. This was after school, so I didn't want any more assignments, but he gave me one more book. And the book was by a, a guy named Shisako Indo. The book is called Silence. It's later turned into a movie. Maybe some of you have seen it. It tells the story of Father Rodriguez, who's a, a Jesuit priest, and he, he's called by God to go to Japan in the 17th century when Japan is ruthlessly hostile to Christians. He call, he's called by God to go there. He goes there as a missionary to Japan, and once he arrives in Japan, he never hears another word from God. He and the other Christians that he's ministering to are hunted down and captured. Some of them are killed. He's tortured. He's forced to recant, which is to deny Jesus. And the way he did it is they would, they would place a picture of the face of Christ at his feet, and he had to spit on it and step on it. And he never hears another word from God. And that's why the story is called Silence. And so... You know, I believe that most in here have never faced a German firing squad. Most in here won't be persecuted like those in Japan were then. But of those two stories, Bonhoeffer's facing difficulty with this unimaginable, unwavering faith, and the Japanese priest who's forced to give up his faith when it becomes unbearably hard, I think some of us lean in that direction. We know that there are these moments in life where believing gets really hard. And so in those moments, you go to your Bible, and you go there, 
And you think, well, all I'm going to find in this book are heroes of faith, people who never have problems believing. And sure enough, you go to a chapter like Hebrews 11, and what's it called? The heroes of faith. It's just this person, one after another, who does these unimaginable things for God. And you think, I want to be like that, and I'm not. Or you're reading through Mark, like we've been doing in this series. You read about these friends who believe in the power of Jesus so much that they carry their friend who's paralyzed to a rooftop and lower him down into a crowd so he can be with Jesus and be healed. Or you think about this woman who's been sick for years and years, and she crawls hand and foot so she can touch the hem of Jesus' robe, and he says, woman, your faith has healed you. And you read all those stories, and if you're struggling with faith, if you're a kind of person for whom believing is hard, you think, there is nothing in here for me. Well, this story in here is for you. You know, because if this story confirms anything, this story about this dad, it confirms that sometimes believing is really hard. Okay, why is it hard for him? Let's go into this story for a second. As a parent, this story connects with me in a way that it did not years ago. This is the second time I've preached on this passage in my ministry. The first time I was not a dad, I'm now a father. And what I have learned in ministry and through being a dad is that as a parent, there is nothing worse than your child hurting. And so here's this dad whose son has been sick for a long time. He's tried everything he can. He's gone to all the specialists like you would because you're good parents. He's gone to every specialist he can think of, and nobody can help his son. And here he is. He's around this large group of people. His son has had another seizure, and you can almost imagine him holding his son. His son's still shaking. He can't fix this. And then he hears about this guy named Jesus, and he hears that if you believe in him, he can fix you. He can heal you. And so he brings his son to Jesus. That's what we're told. He says, I bring my son to you. I brought him to you. But did you notice what happened? Jesus wasn't there. Jesus is up on the mountaintop with all these glowing prophets and God. He's having this big mountaintop experience. There's all these warm fuzzies up there. The father is not up there on the mountain. He's down in the valley. He shows up to see the doctor, and he gets the interns. And the interns are like, we promise we're qualified to handle this. And they're not. He wants the doctor. You can imagine him there. He's there with his son. This was his last chance, his Hail Mary. And it doesn't work out. I mean, as a parent, that hits me pretty hard. And so then Jesus comes down the mountain and he finds everybody arguing down here in the valley, which is the kind of thing that happens in the valley, where we're fighting with one another, where we're torn apart. You know, up there on the mountain, if you could see Jesus clearly, all the things we fight about down here in the valley don't matter so much anymore, but all these people weren't up there on the mountain, they're down in the valley, so what are they doing? They're fighting. And he comes down and he's like, what are you fighting about? 
And this father hears him. The, the question is not addressed to the father, but the father hears the voice he wanted to hear the first time. He hears the doctor. The doctors arrive. And so he stands up, and you can imagine him running towards Jesus saying, I brought my son to you. You were supposed to fix him, but you weren't here. I want to believe, but in what? Believing's hard. And Jesus' response kind of startles us. We want Jesus to say, calm down, my friend. And Jesus says, not just to the Father, but to the whole crowd, he says, you faithless generation, how long will I bear with you? Not put up with you. It's how long will I bear with you? How long are we going to do this? I don't have much more time. But then he has this really tender moment with the dad. You know, his, when he's addressing the whole crowd, their faithlessness is problematic to him. It's resulting in fighting and ugliness and discord. But then he looks at the dad, and he has this different approach with the dad than he does with the crowd. When Jesus gets one-on-one -on -one with this, it changes. And he looks at the dad, and he says, bring the boy to me. And then he asks him this kind of disarming question. He says, how long has he been like this? You know, the dad's taken back. He was really angry when he came to Jesus. His faith is struggling. And I was kind of taken back. And he says, well, I mean, since he was a kid, sometimes it throws him into fires and water. And it's so scary. We're afraid it's going to kill him. And then he says, if you can do anything, Help us. Show us compassion. And Jesus' response is perfect. He says, if you can do anything, all things are possible for the one who has faith. And then the dad says this, and this is what I want us to, to focus on. The dad says, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. Literally, it's, it's the difference of a letter in the two words. One letter, you, you add a letter on the front of the word for faith, and it, and it changes. It. So, so literally, it's, I have faith. Help my non-faith. Or, or I believe. Help my unbelief. That's all it says. Now, I don't know if any sentence in the Bible so accurately captures the human condition like this one. I believe, help my unbelief. Now, when you're on the mountaintop, you don't say that. When you're on the mountaintop, you're overcome with good feelings towards God. But down in the valley, when life is difficult, so many of us, uh, so many of us can resonate with the second part. Help my unbelief. I believe help my unbelief. And maybe your translation, if you're looking at your Bible, maybe it says something like, I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. And that's not a terrible translation. It's just that word overcome is not actually there. And the problem with adding that word in there is it makes it seem like doubt or unbelief is eventually something that you can conquer. You can kind of will it into submission. It's like this dad is saying, well, listen, Jesus, I believe most of the time, 
Occasionally I doubt, but if you'll just give me a little leg up, I'll never doubt again. It's never going to be a problem again. Okay. Do you think this is the last valley of this dad's life? Come on. He says, Jesus, I believe and I have doubts. I believe. Will you help me with my doubt? And you notice what Jesus does? He heals his boy. Now, if you're, if you're standing there on the sideline of this scene, you've got a scorecard and you're, you're kind of scoring this dad on how good of a dad he is, how good of a faithful dad he is. He says, I believe, help my doubt. And you're like, ooh, not good. Jesus isn't going to like that. He just called these people faithless and it really troubled him. But they don't believe. And you said, you don't fully believe all the time, that sometimes it's hard for you. But what does Jesus do? He heals his boy. Apparently, that's enough. I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, I can work with that. You know, what is faith? I think that we aspire, most of us, to have a faith like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a faith that is immovable, even in the valleys of life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. And we long and we aspire to have a faith like that, and I think that is what we should long and aspire to. And I have been amazed at the times, the times I've been in hospital rooms in bedrooms, in difficult situations with some of you at your lowest points. And you have been fully committed to Jesus in those moments. It's amazing to see. And yet I also know that in this place, there are those, and probably many in this room, sometimes me, who struggle to believe. For whom faith is not always easy for whom all of life is not a mountaintop. You remember, Peter wants to stay up there on the mountaintop. He wants to build these houses where he can just stay close with Jesus all the time. And Jesus doesn't let him. They come back down into the valley. I got a call from a young man that I'm discipling, a young man I talk with pretty regularly. He is a guy who has a lot of questions about faith and God. He just really struggles And um, he called me up the other day. This is after a series of conversations about faith. It's just, I have not, you know, said the thing that finally removes all of his doubt. He calls me up and he said, I will not forget this. He calls me up and he says, Eric, do you think there's actually a place for somebody like me at Highland? I mean, do you think there's anybody else at that church who has doubts? Yes. Yes. Because Jesus does not say, if you ever doubt, you're out. I just made that up. Don't really like it. (laughs) That's not what he says. 
This dad who's at a low moment in his life, a valley, and what dad can't connect with him? And this, his kid is sick. This dad who's at the lowest moment in his life says, I believe and I have doubt. And Jesus says, I can work with that. You know, faith, faith isn't a perfect thing. It's a mystery. And I think that faith is that thing that'll show up in those hard moments and you'll be so thankful it's there. Sometimes you'll be in those hard moments and it won't show up and it'll make you long for those seasons when it was strong in you, whatever. Here's what I think faith is. I think faith is the ability to take those doubts when you have them to God and say, can you help me with this? And you know what his answer is? Yes. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. 